So I'd, I'd say I'm more than that. I'm not just a friend to this church. I feel like this is family. Um, so um, those of you who don't know, so I, um, Paul and Paul, my husband who's sitting there, and, and myself, we are based at Trinity Life Church in Royston, which is part of the same network of churches, what was called Plum Lines, now called Ignite. And we are very much a family of churches, and all the churches look and feel slightly different, but there's, there's a sense of family amongst us. So when I come here, I feel like this is this is family, and um, you always make me incredibly welcome. And I and uh, I know many of your faces and can't remember all of your names, so apologies for that. Um, okay, so as in that vein, I'd actually like to bring greetings from Royston, from Trinity Life Church, because I think I don't often do that, and I, I've actually got some news which I'd like you to pray about, so I thought I'd bring these greetings. So for those of you who don't know, we have been meeting in the town hall for some time, and since Matt and Kate Hall took over the leadership in 2011, they've really had a vision to get a building that would provide a community resource. And um, there have been various ups and downs. It hasn't really ha- nothing's really happened that has been right. But recently, um, some of you may remember um, re- remember that we used to many years ago. We started up a youth drop-in centre in the centre of Royston, and it was run by a couple called Andy and Viv Williams, who were, were basically sent out from our church to do it. And we started that just following the millennium. So around the 2000, 2001. And they've been running it for around 20 years. And um, about a year or so ago, the, the number of youth coming seemed to started, to, started to stop. They just stopped coming. And they were also running a food bank out of there as a churches together sort of trussle trust project. Um, so they were being a real blessing to the community. But they decided that it was time for them to close and time for them to retire. So um, they have planned to close it, and they have to put the building back to the way it was, full repairing lease, all that kind of thing. Um, so they're busy repainting, redecorating all, all sorts to get it ready. But in the meantime, the landlord decided that he wasn't going to renew the lease. He actually wants to sell the building. And um, so Trinity Life Church put in an offer and had that offer accepted. <laughs> so, and what's more, a few years ago, they were offering it at 400000 and it's now 265000 Oh, God is good. And um, we're in the process of waiting to hear whether we get a mortgage. We've got a substantial deposit, but we need a little bit of a mortgage. Um, and we're going through the Charities Aid Foundation's CAF Bank for that. And hopefully we'll hear soon that we, we have been approved. So um, there's quite a few hurdles to get over yet. But what really excites me about it is that place has been soaked in prayer for many years. We had our office at the back there for many years. We've done lots of prayer meetings in there. It's been used as a Christian base. So it is associated with church already. And it's it's right in the centre of our town and very visible. The sort of place where we could do lots of kind of projects. We already run Make Lunch out of a different venue, but there's all sorts of things we could do from there. It's big enough at our current size for us to have our Sunday morning meetings there, but that's not the long-term plan. The long-term plan is a community resource. So um, that's quite exciting, isn't it? So can you please pray that the money comes in? And also, from, I really think it's really important that the church owns it and the church believes God in this and the church gets behind it because it has to be more than just the leadership. It has to be the church. So um, um, I'm not big into buildings, actually, but I really feel God's in this one. So, yeah, there you go. So I'm glad you all are with us and you. I love that round of applause and I will tell Kate and Matt that uh, you're, you're, you're behind us. So that's really good news. So if you're able to pray about that just for God to release the finance and the people resources because um, that's a really big big part of it too. Um, and I actually spoke to one person this morning who was already referring someone to our church or thinks some know someone in Royston. So it's amazing the networks, isn't it? Um, so hopefully that lady will start to come. Um, now, this morning, have we got it up yet? Yes. Where's my clicker? Over here. Yes. And presumably I just go forward where the arrows say yes. 
So this morning, I am going to be teaching on Nahum. Has anyone ever heard a teaching on Nahum before? Ray! Right, so this is brand new. I have a feeling that might be the case. Um, so <laughs> we've been going through in TLC a series on the minor prophets, and Muggins here said I would do, as long as it was on a date I could do, I'd do whichever book, you know, they gave me. And they gave me Nahum, and I started to look at it, and I was like, oh my goodness, it's all doom and judgment. Um, and, and I was like, how am I going to deal with this? Anyway, I, I preached on this at Trinity Life Church back in October, and um, I've also been doing personally a study through Revelation recently, and I kind of feel that it, it fits for this time that we're in. And, um, you know, if I'm really honest, knowing that I was coming to Newmarket in January, I was thinking through... Uh, I, I'm a bit short on time for prep. What could I do that I've done before? And I really felt God said to me, Nahum, but I'm going to contextualize it differently. So it's not exactly the same. The slides, I met a ton of, no apologies, the slides are Roy from Royston, TLC. These are ones that Matt Hall put together. Um, so you can see there's loads of books. We're going through all of them. And Nahum is number three there, Nahum. Um, but I am contextualizing it slightly differently. So hopefully it will be a teaching in time for this moment, because I think that's really important that God wants to speak to his church. Um, so the theme from Nahum is judgment and justice, and it fits very much with the teachings on end times and final judgment, and I believe you heard from Claire last week about Revelation, is that right? So um, I just checked out a bit what she talked on about Revelation, I think what I'm going to say will complement that and follow on from it. So I think God's in this. Well, I'm sure God's in this. So I imagine you've, you've all heard, you've, none of, none of you've had a teaching on Nahum, but has anyone heard a teaching on Jonah? Okay, I thought that might be the case. Did you know that Nahum is actually the sequel to Jonah? I can see Taya nodding. The Bible scholars amongst us know this. Um, yeah, so it's actually the sequel to Jonah, so think of it like that. It sits between, in the, or, in the way the Bible's put together, that's not the chronological order, but it sits between Micah and Habakkuk if you've got trouble finding it. Because um, I, I don't know about you, but the minor prophets are difficult to find, aren't they? I mean, who can remember the order they go in? Um, back in Sunday school, I had to learn the books of the Bible, and I, I can get to about Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and then I get a bit stuck after that. <laughs> don't know any... There is an index, yes. We can use the index. And if you've got an electronic version, you can do Control-Find. So you're all, all good. Good to go. Okay, so the context I really want to, want to put this into is that we are in the last days, and I believe God is starting to judge the world. That's not a very nice thing, is it? Um, but in Revelation, in chapters 8 to 9, it talks about the trumpet judgments. And in the trumpet judgments, a third of the world experiences judgment. So let me just read you out a few phrases from chapter 8. So verse 7 says this, a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up. Nine says, a third of the living creatures in the sea died. Eleven says, a third of the waters turned bitter. And twelve says, a third of the day was without light. Anyone heard this before? Does it sound familiar? What does it sound like? The news? Charlotte, Charlotte, come on. What's it sound like? Sounds like now, but to give, give me more. What? Australia, yes. Yeah, yeah. More plastic than the sea than fish. It does sound like now, doesn't it? It really does. Sorry? What? Yes, absolutely. It sounds like the... Yeah. Okay. We're not going to get political today because I get myself into deep water if we get into politics. 
If you want to talk politics with me afterwards, I'll talk about politics all day. Um, some of you will know that I'm a local councillor, so I absolutely love talking about politics, but this is not the place. So, um, But anyway, you've heard this before. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? And I just wanted to, you know, one of the things that really... So I've been studying through Revelation since Advent, the Advent time, which Advent is the... People think of it as a preparation for Christmas, but it's actually about preparing ourselves for Jesus' second coming. And I've been studying Revelation since December, and I'm still just right at the end now. Um, and... Um, one thing that really struck me, reading about Australia and, the, and, the, and all those fires, I read in a news article that one, and, one out of three Australians were affected by that or have been affected by that in some way, shape, or form. And then it struck me, one-third. And here in the Bible, it's saying one-third. And yes, and I, I'm sure you've heard some really good teaching from Claire that you can't take um, re- revelations literally. It is symbolic. But this third, it feels to me like that's starting to happen. And this is the first real judgment that's poured out on the earth, are the seven trumpet judgments, which you, you see in Re- Revelation 8 to 9. Um, and then, oh no, I'll go on to the next bit later. So, referencing climate change. So, Nahum was a bit of a nobody, really. Um, and I think we've got a few nobodies nowadays that are prophets. Nahum was a prophet. He was a minor prophet. But that's not because he's minor. That's because he's short. The book's short. Not because it's not an important message. Anybody think of any modern-day prophets? Think climate change. Greta Thunberg. I think Greta Thunberg is a modern-day prophet. She is warning people. She's, you know, if you read, I read the speech she gave to the Davos um, uh, G7 summit, or, no, World Summit at Davos, um, and it, she's saying, you guys are talking, but you're not doing anything. Why aren't you doing? So what is the purpose of prophetic warning in the, in the scripture? What is the purpose? Change people's minds. It's about repentance. Repent means to change, to turn around. The, the purpose of God warning us is to make us repent. And, and Greta is getting quite cross with world leaders because they're not changing. They're talking, but they're not doing. And so she is a modern-day prophet. She may not be a Christian, but she's a, God is using her in a prophetic way. I don't know whether she's a Christian or not. Um, I can't comment about that. I haven't read anything about that. But I know that she is a modern-day prophet. And so Nahum was prophesying at his time to his generation. We have modern-day prophets too. And it's interesting that she's a young girl who's a nobody, come from nowhere, no, not famous person. She's influencing world leaders. Well, let's hope she is influencing them. She certainly is, but whether we still need to do more. Um, so it's very challenging, climate change, and it, it really requires all of us to change our behavior. And that is the most challenging thing. We can't just talk about it. We have to do something. So um, our local council declared a climate change emergency in May. And now we're actually trying... You know, it's easy to put your hand up. Yeah, yeah, I'll declare a climate change emergency. That's the easy bit. Now we've got to do something. So we're starting to plant trees and reduce plastic and, and try and do more electric vehicle car charging points and tax co- taxi licenses we've increased on the ones that are more polluting and stuff like that. So little things. They're not huge, but if we all do our bit, we, it will make a difference. So there's my sermon on climate change. I'll leave that one for now um, and move on to talk about Nahum. Okay, so Nahum, it was prophesying to Nineveh, just as, jo- just as Jonah did o- just over a century earlier. So this is about 100 years later, just over. Um, so it's around 663, 655 BC. It's in probably during the reign of Manasseh, um, and the reason we know that is we know it's between 663 and 612 because 
in the book, they, it looks back to the fall of Thebes, which was in 663, and forward to the destruction of Nineveh in 612. So we can date it fairly accurately within that period, period of 50 years at least. Um, and um, so Nahum's name means comforter, which is really interesting because he's prophesying doom and judgment, but his name means comforter. And it's because the message is a comfort, a message of comfort to Judah, God's people. Okay, to Nineveh, it's a message of judgment, but to God's people, it's a message, a message of, of comfort because they were under the terror of the Assyrian domination that was ruling Nineveh at the time. And um, they were savage. They were absolutely savage, the Assyrians. Um, so Tebes was very well fortified and had excellent defences, and it was brought down in 663. And so Nahum uses that as a warning to Nineveh. And if you think if you think your defences, which are so good, can stand up to the judgment of God, they can't. Nothing can stand up. When God decides to judge, nothing can stop him, stop that. You know, nothing can stand against that. Um, and the Assyrians were, were actually coming into a period where they were going to reap what they sowed. They'd been savage to other people, and now that was going to be coming back to them. So... Um, the, it was the Medo-Babylonians led by Nebuchadnezzar who completely destroyed Nineveh and left it without descendants, exactly as is prophesied in Nahum 1, verses 14 to 15. Um, and just to say, so a bit like Revelation, um, a lot of Nahum is poetic, it's passionate, it's vivid and forceful. Um, and just to comment a bit about the accuracy of Scripture, um, and I read this in my Bible notes, which I thought was a really nice little gem. So in, in um, Nahum 1.12, it talks about, there's a phrase used, um, which is, oh, let me just see, uh, quiet and, which is, they're not sure how to translate, they weren't sure how to translate it, quiet and likewise many. But they copied it, they transliterated it, very, uh, the, the Hebrew scholars um, transliterated it exactly. And... Um, when they excavated Nineveh, they found that this was an Assyrian formula, that they, this particular phrase was found on loads and loads and loads of tablets. It's found again and again and again, and it testifies to the accuracy of Scripture. Um, and it's interesting that God uses their own legal formula against them. So that's a bit of an aside. But just to say, Scripture has got these real details that are just so accurate. We can trust God's word um, and the people that transcribed it. So, that's a bit of an aside, really. Where have we got to? So, the theme is God's judgment and justice. The backstory is about God, it, God being a refuge for his people, and we've sung a lot about that, which is great, a refuge in the times of storm. And Nahum is not quoted in the New Testament, but there is a bit of a link to 1 Corinthians 10, 12, which says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Because as I said, Nineveh, um, was a grand city. They thought they were the best. They thought they had the best defences. They thought they could stand against anyone, but but they cannot stand against the living God. Um, so be careful. Um, so, does anyone know where Nineveh was? Any ideas? What's your geography of the Middle East like? <laughs> so, somewhere near Babylon. Yeah, that's not 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 bad. Okay. Oh, oh. Yeah, Babylon is in modern Iraq. Absolutely right. Yep, quite well. Nineveh doesn't exist anymore because God judged it and said there would never be any more descendants. So absolutely right, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, 
So it's in the site of Nineveh, is in modern-day Iraq, and you've probably heard of a place called Mosul, because it's been on the news a lot. So it's right in northern Iraq. Um, and Nineveh was located on the opposite side of the Tigris River from Mosul, about where the arrow is. Um, and it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was first occupied in 6000 BC. So it was by this time was 600 BC. So it's a very ancient city. It was an important trading crossroads from the Mediterranean to the Indian Ocean, which created wealth, because as a trade route, the wealth came in. Um, and Sennacherib, however you pronounce his name, who was king of the Assyrians, built Nineveh into a magnificent city. So by 700 BC, it was the largest city in the world, um, and that continued for 50 years. Uh, Jonah refers to it as seven, um, as how what a big city it is. It took three days to walk through. It's estimated that it had it was seven square kilometers, fifteen gates, eighteen canals, a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand inhabitants. So a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand inhabitants is about the size of Peterborough or Cambridge today. But in those days, that was a huge city. Um, so the world population, we've seven billion now, but it, the world population was obviously a lot smaller and those big cities didn't exist and people tended to be more rural on the land. So that was a massive city in those days. Um, so it was huge, it was powerful, it was wealthy, it had great defences, it thought it could, it, it was the capital of their, their empire. They thought they were, no one could conquer them, they were the best. Uh, they were the strongest, the mightiest, the wealthiest. Um, and it's, I'll just, there's a picture of it. So, so that is it in the far distance, um, and that's that's the site of Nineveh. They excavated the ruins in uh, the 19th century. Um, so it was completely raised in 612 BC, according to God's word, and then the ruins were buried. And so they they started to excavate them in the 19th century, and it was occupied by ISIS in the early 2010s and recaptured by the Iraqi forces in 2017. So that's a bit of modern history associated with Nineveh. So here's a picture. Oh, no. Go back. I keep clicking too far. There we are. So that that is how it looks today. That's the ruins, and it's, of course, been ruined even more by ISIS. So um, anyway, so that was Nineveh. So God's word came true. So let's have a little look. This is time for you to do some work now. I've done enough talking. So um, in pairs, I'd like you to read through Nahum 1, verses 1 to 8. And what I want you to look at is what do they tell us about God's character? So I'm looking for some words that describe God's character from Nahum 1, 1 to 8. So find someone to talk to. And I'll give you two to three minutes for this because it shouldn't take very long. Well, you can read it. If you haven't brought your glasses, someone can read it for you. So let's hear then, what did you think? What does it tell us about the character of God? Yes? Jealous God? Powerful? Slow to anger? Yes, I like that way you put that. That's great. Yeah? Just? Merciful, yes. Caring? Over here? Did you have one? Sorry, I thought, Mel, I thought you were about to say something. Oh yeah, that doesn't mean you weren't, you didn't know these things. Oh, good, yes, good. I was going to say you haven't got that one. You can rely on him in times of trouble. So what's the word for that? And we sang about it earlier. Faithful, yeah. He knows us. He knows his people. Okay, so it's an interesting mixture. Um, 
Uh, I put up a few things. Holy, you didn't, it's not specifically referenced in the passage, but I think it speaks about his holiness. Jealous, just, slow to anger, powerful. I'm not very good with this clicker. It seems to go all at once or not at all. Good. Good is definitely mentioned in there. Um, and what's the last one I've got here? Faithful. So um, I like the way Paul put it, actually, that, you know, he's really good, but when he gets angry, don't mess with him. Uh, and that's quite a good way of doing it. Um, of ex- that's quite a good way of expressing it. Father, fatherhood. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, because he is a good father, isn't he? He's the best example of father of a father that we've got. And the father does exactly that. He he protects. He loves. He cares for. He's good. He's slow to anger. But then when he he does need to sometimes discipline and correct. Um, and a good father would do that for the sake of his children because he loves them. So God protects the righteous and he judges the wicked. So if we think about Jesus, um, Jesus said some pretty tough things, didn't he? So, um, we, you know, sometimes people say, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I think he was, he was far from meek and mild, the way I understand the words meek and mild. Um, he, he was yet full of grace, but also full of truth. Um, he had that, that amazing, was able to balance those things perfectly. Um, but he tells off, tells off a lot of people, particularly the religious. Um, and he talk, talks to the um, Pharisees about, you know, they've got stubborn hearts towards doing good on the Sabbath. They don't want to heal people on the Sabbath. That's in Mark 3, 5. You know, he really tells them off about that. Um, and then he talks about when he clears the temple. He throws over the tables and says, you're making this, this a den of robbers and thieves when this should be a house of prayer. You know, that, that's not a meek and mild thing. That's getting angry about people not doing, doing good, not doing the right thing, not following God's ways. So there's an element to justice. But he's slow to anger. And one of the things I observed um, a few times on reading that passage about clearing the temple is in at least one of the Gospels, and I'm sorry, I can't remember which one it is, it says he went and looked at the temple, he saw all the tables, then he went back and stayed overnight in Bethany, I think it was, and then the next day he came back and turned them over. So it wasn't an impulsive, I'm angry, just do it. It was a thought-through, righteous anger. Um, and there is a place for us getting angry about stuff, about injustice, about climate change. There is a place for getting angry, not at people, but about injustice. Because anger actually is a really good motivator to, for us to change stuff. Um, and it's it's about a righteous anger. So he's never quick to judge, but his patience doesn't last forever. So he's slow to anger, but there will come a time of judgment. And he's delaying that, but it's not delayed forever. Um, and in times of trouble, trouble, it is easy to doubt God's promise, God's goodness. And we sang a lot about that this morning. And, and Andy prayed about that, which I thought was fantastic. God, we can totally trust God with our lives, even through all the trials and tribulations, all the difficulties, because he he promises to restore peace and defeat his enemies. And he, that's in verse 7. He, we know the end of the story. We know that the last word, God has the last word. Everything will be restored. In Revelation, the, the, the martyrs are crying out for justice, and yet God says, I've got to wait a little bit longer because it's not the right time yet. So he will vindicate the righteous and he will restore justice to this earth um, and he will deal with evil, Satan and all of that forever. But sometimes we have to dig deep and be patient, don't we? Um, 
in 2010-11, I went through a really stressful time at work. Um, in a, in, it was actually a Chris, small Christian organization I was working for, which made it doubly hard. And um, my boss, who I'd worked very well with up till then, um, took, decided to put disciplinary action against me, which was really, really unfair. And um, I fought it for about six months until I was finally let off on appeal. But that six, that six months was really, really difficult. And I didn't sleep well, and I was journaling in the night. But God said to me that he would vindicate me. And he spoke to me early on that he would vindicate me. And um, every time, I kept saying to God, but it's getting worse. And I'm writing in my journal, you said, God, you said you would vindicate me, but it's getting worse. And I just had to keep hanging in there. And eventually, um, God did vindicate me. Um, But it takes a while sometimes, and we have to stand on the word of God and know, know deep inside that he is faithful to his word. He had spoken his word to me, and I knew his word was true, and I knew he was going to vindicate me. Um, But, you know, when everyone's telling you that you're in the wrong that you've messed up, that, um, I mean, obviously I didn't do everything perfectly, but that you still can start to believe it. But we need to believe God, not what other people say about us. Yeah? We need to believe what God says about us. Do not be deceived, my friends. God is good and the devil is bad. End of story. Full stop. Right? So let's let's move on. So what can we learn from Nahum? Um, Lessons from Nahum. So, first and foremost, the reason, the cause of Nineveh's destruction was pride. And, you know, a hundred years previously, Jonah had come and they'd all repented and got back to God. Um, but, hun- but it only took a hundred years before they were completely doing their own thing again. No, 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 not considering God, just building on their wealth, trusting in their own righteousness, trusting in their own wealth, trusting in their own strength and had completely forgotten God. And it's quite subtle, the sin of independence. It's the I in the middle, isn't it? It's when we, you know, and in the good times often, we forget God, or we can forget God. That's what Israel did. In the good times, they forgot God. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? That in the trials and tribulations, yeah, I've got to hang in there, hold on to God, and I'm probably praying more and all of that. But in the good times, do I just rely on my own strength and rely on my own um, ability? Or do I really stay focused on God and what he wants? And there are some really sobering words in Nahum. Twice it says, I am against you. Hebrews 10 tells us that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When God says he's against you, that is that is bad news. Because from what you said, don't mess with him. Um, but we know from that God is for us. If we are believers and we have we have believed on Jesus Christ and put our faith in him that he is for us and nothing can stand against us. So we need to remain in that place. So today we are living in the age of God's favor. We're living in the age between Jesus's first coming and Jesus's second coming. And we're moving into the last days where God is starting to judge the earth. So I said in Revelation 8, there's a partial judgment. These The trumpet judgments are about partial destruction. A third was destroyed. But when you come to Revelation 16, you get the bold judgments, and that is complete destruction, wiping out all evil. Um, and interspersed in amongst these judgments, there's, there are scenes from heaven so that we can see what is happening in heaven. God is being worshipped, and he's in control, but down on earth, judgment is going on. And um, it's going to be a challenging time for the saints. But twice it says... Revelation 13 and Revelation 14, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints 
who obeyed God's commandments and remained faithful to Jesus. Our call, brothers and sisters, our call is to remain faithful to Jesus, not to be deceived, because the biggest thing that's going to happen is deception. The enemy is going to deceive people into believing something that's not true. And he's, you know, there's going to be signs and miracles that are going to deceive many. But we are ones who have the Holy Spirit in us and we have the, the spirit of discernment to know what is true. And Jesus is the truth. The word of God is the truth. We need to hang on to that. We need to stand firm. Patient endurance. Standing firm in faith. That's what we are called to do. So Nahum graphically portrays the seriousness of sin. God does not take sin lightly. Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for it. It's not a, it's not a, a light matter. It's a very serious matter. And, you know, any national or personal kingdoms that are founded on deceit and tyranny are displeasing to God, and they will be judged. It may take time. So we have some terrible regimes around the world that are really awful, North Korea being one, um, and who they're absolutely dreadful. But, but be clear, my friends, God will judge these. Um, they won't be allowed to rule forever. So the proud, the arrogant, and the rebellious will be judged. But those who are humble, devoted, and faithful will receive comfort. And Nahum 1 is a great, uh, 7 is the the verse I'm going to leave you with in a minute. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. We can be confident of that. So Nahum warns against pride and warns against independence. And that's about living apart from the will and ways of God. And let's be, be careful not to become smug and secure in our faith because God opposes the proud. And it's easy to let pride in, isn't it? Really easy to let pride in. I did that. I was good at that. I, I mean, it's good, good to, t- you know, to say thank you when people give us compliments, but we need to be careful that we continue to give glory to God. Um, we only do and are because he made us that way. So, God, so there's a warning against pride, and particularly be careful of subtle independent pride. Um, the next thing. Oh, what's happening? Yeah, okay. God will judge the wicked. I think I've said enough about that. God is a refuge in trouble. He will deliver his people, and the other thing is we need to share the gospel of grace. We have a responsibility to reach others with a message. We are between the partial judgment and the final judgment. People don't have much more time. And one of the things that I noticed, I said prophets are about warning people to repent. But one of the things I noticed in Revelation is even after some incredible judgments, the people did not repent. And going back to the climate change thing, the evidence is all there, but there are people who are not changing their ways. You know, we need to repent. We need to listen to the message. Um, And it should prompt us to mission. It should prompt us to go out and tell other people because there's not much time left, folks. We don't know how much because no one knows the time. But what we do know is we are closer than we were and we see all the signs around us in the world. We are in a very different place from where we were 10 years ago even in this world. So... So how are you about um, God's correction and discipline? Do you see it as a father disciplining those he loved? Do you receive it and turn to repentance? So think about yourself, particularly about pride and independence. Are you good to quickly receive God's correction? And, you know, the, the important distinction between God's correction from the Holy Spirit and the devil who comes with condemnation, the key difference is that God is always very specific about what it is you need to change. The enemy will go, you're a failure, you're hopeless, everything you do is bad, you're never this, you're always that. It's a general vague thing. So the key distinction is, when God's specific, that word you spoke to that person was unkind. That is the kind of correction that we need to... Or when you did that, you didn't follow me, you were doing it in your own strength. 
So it's specific things. And we need to, the quicker we accept God's correction and his discipline, the quicker we grow and continue in his love. Um, so that's important. And what am I doing to influence this world positively? Now, shout out for Charlotte, who's doing single-use cups, um, asking people to bring a reusable cup. Um, that's, that's a small thing you're doing, but it's a small thing that's important. She's doing something. So what are you doing um, to share your faith, to, to make a difference in this world? Not just directly sharing the word of God, but things you can do to influence culture positively that, that, that bring God's kingdom, God's standards to the earth. Because it's about kingdom rule. It's about God's ways. Um, we're living in the year of God's favor, but it won't last forever. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, he, God is patient with us, not wanting, wanting anyone to perish. He's not slow in bringing judgment. He's patient. And we have to be patient and endure. But the time will come. This, this, time won't, of grace of, this age of grace, this age of favor will not last forever, folks. We need to be constantly thinking, where am I? What am I doing? Am I in the right place? Am I doing what God wants to do? Am I, am I fulfilling what he's called me to do? And it says in Revelation that all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life. And for those who worship the beast, it doesn't end well. And then it says again, the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life will be astonished when they see the beast. It's interesting, because I just said about deception. The people whose names are not written in the book of life don't have the Holy Spirit in them, won't be able to see the deception. They will be astonished. They will marvel at this thing. But we need to, 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 to help people see God's truth. We need to pray for people to have their eyes open, their ears on stop, so they can hear the message, see Jesus and receive it for themselves. Because time is short. So, um, your memory verse for today. Shall we say it together? The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. So be blessed. Continue to go out and change the world, guys. Remember, 12 disciples turned the world upside down, so you can do it too. They were ordinary men. We're ordinary people. We can make a difference. Amen? Join the impact team. There you are. There's a shout out. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much.